welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Gordy Habb, and it's from his uh, newest project, Star Wars Squadrons. Gordy has been scoring Star Wars games since 2011. He did Star Wars The Old Republic, and uh, he's done uh, both the Battlefield games and more projects in the Star Wars gaming uh, universe. His music is absolutely, it's just great. He's been a fan of Star Wars since he was a kid, uh, and we're the same age, which I don't even think I told him, but uh, we were both born in 1976, so we're like the golden children of Star Wars, right? And I mean, Star Wars was made for us, literally. <laughs> so his music is just spot on and so well written. And it was just so much fun to talk to him about just his relationship with Star Wars and also the game itself. I mean, let's not forget that. Star Wars Squadrons is like the realization of a dream of so many Star Wars fans because it's a dogfight game. It's like space battles, almost exclusively X-Wings and TIE Fighters and stuff. Yes, please. Uh, here's Gordy. Squadrons is, at its core, it's a sort of a flight simulator. So as a player, you get to, you know, form squadrons of, of other X-Wings or TIE Fighters and fight on either the, you know, Rebellion side or the Imperial side and uh, sort of take to the skies and have dogfights and, you know, sort of coordinated uh, strategic, um, you know, air battles, which is quite cool because, you know, Battlefront had a storyline as, as well as some of these uh, types of things as well. But, you know, this is highly focused on that dogfighting space combat, which makes it pretty unique. And it has a VR component to it as well. So you feel like you're actually in the cockpit of an X-Wing flying through space having these fights. It's, it's quite cool. I mean, as a child of that era, growing up watching Star Wars, that's like everyone's yeah. dream was to be able to feel like you were flying a TIE fighter or an X-Wing. So, I mean... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> my, my dream as a child was the same. And yes. uh, so getting to see this sort of come to fruition is is really cool. Well, and getting and to write the music for it, too. Exactly. So, exactly, yeah, yeah. And I mean, when I played um, Battlefront, th those were honestly my personal fa favorite parts of the games was getting to yeah. fly in those sequences. So it's really cool that they made a game just for that, I think, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about the music because music, it's just great as always. I mean, it's so much fun and the main theme I love. So let's go ahead and start there. And I love the, the little bit of chromaticism right at the end of that first phrase is so satisfying cool. and the rhythm just like really pays off. So talk That's to cool. me about uh, just writing the main theme for uh, Squadrons. Yeah, actually, so the first sort of task I had on my plate for the entire game was to come up with a main theme. Uh, we knew we wanted to have a score that was pretty much in whole based on one theme. So even if you're playing as, you know, Rebel or Imperial, it, everything is sort of a variation of this main theme. So there's an Imperial version, there's a Rebel version, and then there's the main theme itself. And all of those things are born out of the main theme. Mm -hmm. So step one was to compose this theme. And I, I literally worked from piano sketch with the audio director and uh, you know, would, would just play in just the melody on piano, send that in. And we sort of went back and forth until we were all happy with it and felt like it was a memorable theme that had a hook to it that would be something that you, you'd walk away from the game sort of singing, and if you heard it, it would remind you of playing Squadrons. Mm -hmm. So that was the goal, and then every 
bit of the score is essentially, you know, sort of a, a branch out of that main theme. So once we had that anchor point, then I could sort of create the rest of the score, just sort of branching out from that like a tree. And, uh, you know, it, it actually worked out quite well. So, you know, instead of having multiple themes, you know, based on different factions, different types of ships you might be flying, etc. Instead of that, we had sort of this, you know, this this parent theme yeah. that everything branches out of. Yeah, it's really cool how um, uh, what you do with it in the imperial theme because, uh, like, if you listen to the how, the march it is in the imperial ceremony and briefing track, it's just mm-hmm. so fun how how you do take that main seed of the main theme and adapt it and turn it into this really great march. And, you know, what was interesting and what was sort of a challenge was coming up with a main theme that would lend itself well to adapting into multiple styles and and that kind of thing as well. Because, you know, if I came up with a very fanfare-ish, upbeat type of theme, it might not lend itself well to doing an imperial version, for example. So I had to come up with something that was sort of neutral, but still felt exciting and Star Wars at, at its core. But also had the ability to be, you know, sort of adapted and manipulated into various factions. I mean, the use of brass is like so essential to Star Wars. And I just, I have, what's your main instrument? My main instrument is the trombone, so I'm a brass player. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go figure. And, okay, uh, I was know, just I, like, I do is tend he... to write heavy brass. Verses, yeah, I, so. I just wondered. I was like, is he going to say piano? I don't know if he's going to say piano, but I mean, <laughs> well, that just it just I mean, then all is right in the world, and that makes perfect sense because I mean, the the yeah. brass writing here is absolutely just you just it's un- incomparable i mean it's so good oh, and it's so great so and even in the very first track like i when i heard that first track i went back about five different times just to hear what the horns do at the very <laughs> end of that yeah. first track playing higher than i think they play in the aaron copeland promise yeah, of living yeah. part you know what i mean it's just like yeah i'm pretty sure i get up to like a, a high concert f at certain points on the horns and- <laughs> i mean that's insane This is actually brings up a really good point because, you know, as a brass player, I tend to like to push the limits of the brass instruments because, you know, I know what they're capable of. I mean, the books will tell you one thing, but yep. if you're a brass player, you know that actually, you know, the limits can be stretched based on the player. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to record this with the uh, the studio orchestra in Nashville, I know uh, the horn player there, Jennifer Dougal, very well. And, she, and I know that the principal horn there can play very clearly a high F concert and and make it sing. So, you know, knowing that in advance, I was able to sort of write for the player, you know, rather than write, you know, based on 
what the orchestration books tell you, for example. Yeah, no, it's just so fun to hear them just wailing. I mean, there's something to me. I, I was a trumpet player, and I still play sometimes, but mm-hmm. I mean, f- for me, I get way more excited hearing a horn wail as high as possible than I do a trumpet, <laughs> you know, because it's yeah. just, there's something great about it. So tell me a little bit about writing for horn, because they really are kind of this quirky little almost homeless instrument in the world of instruments, but yet they're also kind of the best because they blend with everyone. So what's it like to write for them? Well, I'll be completely honest with you. I have French horn envy. I mean, I wish I had played the French horn. I I mean, I love the trombone section. (laughs) I love playing la brass, and I love the power that a la brass section can bring. Yeah. But the horn is, is, is probably the most you know, versatile instrument, at least in the brass section, but possibly in the whole orchestra, in my opinion, Mm. because it can be a part of pretty much every section. Uh, You know, I mean, when you think of, for example, uh, a woodwind quintet, you know, it's it's flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, and French horn. Mm -hmm. So the French horn can actually be part of a wind section and blend quite well. French horns with strings actually darkens the string section and makes it sound warmer and, and, you know, more regal or noble, if you will. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you can have the horns play, as we say, quivre, which is just, to, you know, play forced and brassy and, yep. uh, and can blend quite well with trombones, for example. So that alto voice, that, that middle voice in the, in the brass section, I think also has, has a, a vocal quality to it. And I think that's why people really latch on to it, particularly when, when it's playing a melody, because it's something you can imagine singing. It's mm-hmm. in the same range as, as, a, as a vocal part. So uh, it's singable, you know, it can blend well with other sections, it can blend well with literally any section in the orchestra. So I think it's the the most unique instrument in the section for sure. Super fun. And it's so fun to hear them just blasting away through the whole score. Definitely. Um, I tend to feature them quite often. So it's sort of my, it's my favorite instrument to write for, to be honest. And also just in the whole soundtrack, there's so much energy in the music. So I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, some of the ways that you used the orchestra to kind of create motion or momentum. I mean, because there are a lot of different ways you do that. And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on how you do use the instrument or the orchestra in, in that way. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, with a score like this, because it is, at, at, like I say, at, at, at its core, it's a sort of a flight simulator dogfighting type of game, uh, you're talking about a lot of high action, you know, fast paced score that kind of brings a lot of that, you know, uh, excitement to it. And because of that, I feel like you sort of need to have a constant motor that's that's chugging along to, to keep that momentum pushing forward. So there's so many ways you can sort of slice it. I mean, I like to think of every instrument in the orchestra, every section in the orchestra as having the ability to be the percussion section. So maybe in some cases you might have strings that are playing the soaring melody over top of everything, but you have the wind section that's just, you know, sort of chunking along playing 16th note patterns that keep the rhythm moving. Mm. But you can also have the winds doing some flourishes and then have the strings doing the rhythmic part. 
or how the percussion section do the rhythmic part, et cetera, et cetera. Brass, it's the same. Uh, so I think it's sort of it's, it's always really important with this type of music and for this type of project, I think, to have sort of a constant motor rhythm that's moving along while everything else is sort of dancing around it. And every section in the orchestra sort of has the ability to, to play a part in that. So I always try to sort of mix it up, change it up a bit. You know, when you get tired of hearing horns just playing eighth notes to keep rhythm, you can switch it over and have strings doing like you, more of a ostinato type of rhythm, you know, repeated pattern or something like that, almost like mm-hmm. a snare drum would. Sure. You know, and you wouldn't want to have a snare drum just going constantly. It would be tiring to the ear. So, yeah. you know, kind of changing it up and always keeping the rhythm moving no matter what's happening around it. That's sort of uh, the recipe, I think, for a good, you know, exciting action score. Yeah, and along those lines, I mean, talk about writing for spaceship battles, because did that feel different in any way? And I know you'd done that in the previous uh, Battlefronts, but did it feel different than other combat music is what I'm curious about. It did, yeah. And, and, And the reason it did is because, you know, in Battlefront, if you take that game as an example... Um, sure, there was, you know, there was space combat, there was ground combat, there was quite a bit of combat music, but it, it was always based on, you know, like a, if, what planet you were playing on or what character you were playing as yeah. or, you know, and, and there was sort of like a bit more of a, you know, underlying story behind it. So you had to, the music had to play two roles, keeping the action moving, but also adding sort of this emotional content. Uh, with squadrons, I mean, it, it really is. It's seventy percent of what the score's job is is to keep the energy up and mm-hmm. keep the excitement high. So it was it was unique. I mean, I had to really. It was a lot of action music to write. I would say about you know eighty percent of the score is is just wall to wall action, exciting, fast paced music. <laughs> And actually how we approached it, because I'd mentioned before that we, everything was based on this main theme, even, you know, various factions that you could play as were all sort of based on this main theme as well. Mm -hmm. Because of that, it gave us the ability to say, for example, you might play, uh, you know, uh, one map in the game that you you hear a particular piece of music. And then the second, next time you play that map, it might be a completely different piece of music. So we had this sort of... Uh, modularity and, and the ability to interchange music from one map to the next because the music itself wasn't based on the map. The music itself was based on the faction you were playing as. Sure. So it gave us a lot of sort of modular approach to where the music could fit in. Mm-hmm. And I think by doing that, we, we kept it sort of fresh and uh, unique and exciting at all times. So you wouldn't, you know, playing on one map, you wouldn't get bored from hearing the exact same piece of music over and over again. Mm-hmm. Rather, you might hear anywhere from, you know, five to 12 different pieces of music could be pulled up from the audio system mm. and play to accompany that match. So that's that's kind of unique. That was very different than, say, you know, Battlefront or certainly more unique compared to like a Jedi Fallen Order, which... You know, when you hear the music in Jedi Fallen Order in any given scenario, it's always going to be that music. And music was written specifically for that moment, yeah, for its emotional content. Where in Squadrons, it was, you know, it was written just to keep things exciting. 
and mm-hmm. and remind you, you know, what side you were on, for example. <laughs> <laughs> you know. There is, though, even despite all the combat music and fast-paced action-type music, there there is some are some tender moments in there, and uh, saying goodbye would be one of those. And tell me about writing that track because it's really lovely. You know, it the contrast oh, is is strong. Yeah. So writing that, I mean, you know, with all games, and this one is no exception. There's usually some cinematics, and then there's a story. There's a you know single-player component to this game as well. So there's a storyline. So for any time you have that, it's almost like scoring a film more than it is like scoring a game. So I'm actually writing to picture. So, you know, the emotional content of that moment really called for something, you know, that was more tender and and sweet. And, you know, so I wanted to write something about that. That, That's actually one of the rare moments in the score, actually, where there's where there's new themes uh, you know, there's there's a theme for the dockyards, for example, and you yep. know, there's various themes that are not necessarily based on the main theme. Um, so that was, you know, kind of a unique challenge as well, is to how do I write something new but keep, make it feel like it's still part of the existing score that's all based on that main theme. The dockyard theme is amazing because it's really atonal in a lot of ways, even though it's not, uh, but it's, it's very chromatic at the beginning, and I love that. That's something that I always really love to do, harmonically at least, is, is play with chromaticism. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of the original scores, you know, for, for the franchise were, you know, based in that sort of late romanticism yep. uh, type of writing. You know, that's something I'm very much a fan of as well. So, you know, getting to work within this franchise means that I get to play with some of those sounds. And chromaticism is something that's just so much fun because you really can kind of go anywhere. Yep. It's sort of like, you know... If you have sort of a grid, you know, chromaticism gives you sort of this loophole to pretty much any key, you know, so I can kind of jump around and move around and go somewhere else and then find your way back quite naturally. It's sort of like a maze that you know there's always a route to get back to whatever one of 12 keys you might want to get to. Uh, So that's kind of fun to play with. And, you know, I, I really enjoy writing that type of music. Yeah, I think people are always really surprised if they listen to very late romantic era music to find that the line between tonality and atonality got really sketchy for a minute there. <laughs> and yeah. it's just no, it's that's not a very true. it's not a very darkly written line. It's very tenuous how you can go back and forth uh, between that and and that theme is just such a brilliant example of that. 
Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's a really good point. And, you know, what's, like I say, what's really great about it is you can kind of go anywhere. And with a score like this, writing for video games in particular is a unique challenge because many times you have, you don't know how long the music needs to play because sure. it's going to vary based on the player. So, I mean, some, some people might take, you know, a couple minutes in a match, some might take 10. And so to sort of accommodate for that, a lot of times music needs to seamlessly loop back and play again mm-hmm. or transition to something else, you know, to amp up the intensity or, you know, as the match is sort of coming to a close, you might transition into like a, a last round of music that is really exciting before it transitions to a winning or losing, you know, stinger ending. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're writing chromatic music, and here's where it really gets tricky with Star Wars in particular, is because it's chromatic music, there's no good way to know exactly what key you're going to be in when you get to that point when it needs to transition. Yeah. So because it's kind of moving all over the place all the time, you know, I mean, if it was a game, you know, that wasn't this type of music, maybe it would be an easier approach to just say, I'm going to keep everything in D minor for the whole cue yeah. because then at any point I could transition to something else that's in D minor and it'll work. But when you're dealing with this kind of music where, it, it you know, you might be in D minor for, you know, five measures and then it you know it suddenly modulates you know up a major third to f sharp you know who knows yeah, and yeah. then you know maybe this ending stinger might be in c so how do you get from f sharp back to c you know and in a musical way that's sort of the trick of this yeah. type of music so i'm always writing these transitions that can sort of usually i try to start from a sort of an atonal point so it could come in at any point and then I do my little transitional modulation to get to the key of whatever I'm going to (laughs) and then those little transitions can pop in at any point to get there so it's like you know it's like little wormholes I have to create all the wormholes to get from one place to the next well that's the beauty of the harmony is that the harmony allows you to do that you know just the way patterns work in harmony it's that's just such a beautiful it's like musicians as mathematicians as musicians you know yeah yeah that's exactly right. <laughs> and, you know, where, where it, it creates problems, it also, by its nature, allows you to sort of go from one key to any other key pretty seamlessly without calling attention to itself. So where it might be hard to make the transition, the transition will always work if you find a clever way to do it. Because our ear gets used to moving around quite often. So sure. uh, it actually doesn't seem jarring to jump from, you know, one key to another pretty suddenly. Talk to me about the finale, because the finale was great, too, and and has some nice little solos pop up. So uh, talk to me about yeah. writing that. That must have been fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, writing that is sort of the, you know, that's that's the reward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, getting to do any type of thing that's, you know, big, uplifting kind of fanfare, that's like my favorite thing to do. So, uh, you know, that's my approach to that is always pretty similar. You know, I have sort of a, you know, sort of a modular type of thinking harmonically. And so I can, you know, I can move it around and, and you know, make it feel like it's ascending 
And that's sort of always a goal, to, in my opinion, to make something really feel like it's it's going somewhere and and mm-hmm. becoming sort of triumphant is for it to harmonically ascend as well as, you know, melodically. So, you know, it's sort of weaving those two things together to make it feel like it's really developing. giving you the, the big payoff moment where's you know the final fanfare that's always fun and can really evoke those you know really exciting you know heartfelt emotions that kind of thing so i, I always love writing those types of tracks And, you know, because I'm writing for, you know, an orchestra and featuring the orchestra as as a unit, you know, it's not a type, it's not the type of score that where orchestra is one layer amongst synth layers or big percussion layers or this kind of thing. Yeah. It is the orchestra by itself. That's the nature of that type of score. So, uh, you know, I like to think of it as sort of a concerto for orchestra. So I'll feature solos in every section of the, of the orchestra, uh, give everyone sort of a moment to shine. You know, that's, I think that's always fun. And it, and it changes the color. So things are always interesting. I think that's sort of the goal. Speaking of the orchestra, talk to me about recording this score in the first place, because everybody these days has a story about what was getting recorded when, when everything yeah, got exactly. shut down. So, yeah. you know, I'd love to hear just how that actually happened. I mean, clearly this is all live, so I, I just would love to, to hear that story. Yeah, so we started recording in 2019. Actually, the first recording session was in May of, of, of 19. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, so long long before, you know, COVID hit, for example. So and we recorded in Nashville. Uh now we recorded at Oceanway Studios, which is is a pretty big room. It's the biggest room currently in, in Nashville to record, but it's not quite big enough to put maybe like a hundred piece orchestra with full percussion section. You can, but I think you get sort of diminishing returns because it starts to just get too loud for the size of the room itself. Sure. So what we did is, you know, what we call in the biz striping you know where we recorded strings and winds as a unit you know for a few days and then once we had all the strings and winds parts down we'd bring the brass in and do that and then we'd record the percussion separately Mm -hmm. so even though it was at at the end a hundred plus piece orchestra that we recorded we recorded it in three sections And, and i think we recorded over that way we recorded over the year for about 14 cumulative days Hmm. Uh, actually more there was a point in October where I went to Nashville to record and I think it was 
it was a solid two weeks in addition to what we had done in May. So wow. maybe there was about 20 days total of recording full orchestra. And that nice. got us about 70% of the way there. The remaining bits were mostly cinematics and, and, a, and a few more action cues that were left over that we were planning to record in early 2020. Um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. So our plans changed drastically, and we had to come up with a game plan to sort of make it fit with the other 70% of the score that we had already recorded a certain way, but following guidelines. And Steve Schnurr, the, the head of music at EA, is a good friend of mine, and we, we both were taking the you know the COVID guidelines very seriously, and we, we wanted to come up with a plan that was safe for everyone, self-included. Uh, mm-hmm. So I actually stayed in Los Angeles and recorded remotely, so you know, connecting in online. And Steve Schnurr built a studio in his home, you know, where we could have <laughs> one player at a time come in and play. And uh, literally, that's how we recorded the remaining parts of the score was wow. one instrument at a time over the course of about, I think it was eleven, maybe fourteen days of straight recording one instrument each day. So day one would be flute. And we'd record all three flute parts that were in the orchestra with one player, you know, okay. playing each part one at a time for every remaining cue. Yep. And then the next day was oboe, and we just went straight down the score list. Uh, the only thing we didn't record uh, live was was strings, because to get the sound of a full string section, you really need all the yeah. strings at once. Yep. One violin playing the you know the first violin part and then layered in, it's just going to sound like a string quartet. It's not going to sound like an orchestra. So. Right. So we actually, with the remaining bits of the score, chose to keep all of the strings sample-based. So okay. uh, we used the strings that we had in the mock-ups that were getting approved. And that's sort of, you know, myself and uh, the guys on my team, Sam Smythe in particular, who's been, you know, working with me for the better part of a decade or more doing mock-ups and synthestration and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went into the string parts and sort of made them more production ready because the mock-ups themselves were more just to, here's the idea, what do you think? Okay, great, let's go record it. But mm-hmm. when we discovered, oh, these might actually have to live in the final, you know, he went back in and made sure that they all sounded like they were a full string section. Wow. And then we layered those in with all the individual solo instruments and put that all together. And, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, it, it's... It's quite difficult to tell which is which, you know, which yeah. which pieces of music were recorded with a full orchestra and which ones were pieced together like a puzzle, you know. And and when we were developing the soundtrack, we actually were consciously trying to, you know, mix it up so maybe even within the same piece of music you'd hear full orchestra for a minute and then it would transition into something that was sort of this piecemealed type of music and then transition back to full orchestra. So we kind of blended it throughout the soundtrack. So it was never extremely noticeable, one production quality difference from the next track. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think that was pretty successful. No, it's incredible. I mean, I, I'm not really the best judge. I'm pretty terrible, especially when they're that good. Like I'm not. <laughs> I just can't. I just don't have the ear for that. 
And so I'm always just amazed. It's so well done. Um, Gordy, you've been a part of the Star Wars gaming universe since, like, Star Wars The Old Republic. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was my first Star Wars game. And I just would love to hear what you enjoy about writing music for the games. Well, I grew up a huge Star Wars fan, and actually that didn't change. I still am a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> so for me, getting to work within the franchise that I grew up loving, it's my favorite film franchise. So uh, getting to work in that world is is incredible. So, you know, I'm always excited about it, and I, and, and I, and, you know, I have to pinch myself just to remind myself that it's actually happening. And then what I think is really great about it is that each project sort of brings a new unique challenge from the previous. You know, for example, Star Wars The Old Republic, the music for that game was, because of of when the game was set, the game was set maybe 2,000 years before what we know from the films, for example. Mm -hmm. So the goal was to write music that would have been the predecessor to the music we know from the films. So think of it as if if the films are modern music, then we needed to write the equivalent of Baroque music that led <laughs> to that event. So that was a unique challenge. Uh, you know, then moving on, I, I wrote the music for um, for Microsoft's Connect Star Wars, and that was very much based in the in the era of the prequel films. And so I needed to mm. sort of find my musical voice within that you know, sort of soundscape. Yeah. Uh, Battlefront had its own unique challenges, you know, because I had to write so many original themes for that game. Yeah. And there was so much music in it, you know, both Battlefront 1 and 2. And Battlefront 2 actually had even more challenges to it because it had a single-player component to it. Yep. You know, the storyline that was actually quite deep. And yeah. uh, it was like scoring yeah. a film. I mean, it was, you know, an hour and a half of music that was just for single player and was basically scored to picture. So it was like writing the music for a full movie. Uh, (laughs) Jedi Fallen Order, you know, Stephen Barton and I co-scored that project together, but there was over seven hours of music in the game. Oh my God. uh, And it was 100% narrative. So there's, and, uh, you know, 100% original. We borrowed no themes from any existing projects and, you know, except for maybe on one small occasion, but I'd say out of seven hours of music, there might be like three minutes of of themes from you know previous projects just to give you a little taste a little hint of something wow you know uh, yeah. but yeah i mean so many many like 20 character themes and you know different main themes and you know various uh you know planet themes and this kind of thing so it was actually a, a, a really daunting task to work on and then yeah. squadrons which was happening sort of right at the tail end of working on fallen order was completely different than that you know, as I described earlier, it was more about the action and the excitement. And, you know, so I had to, like, put on a different hat and go do this and then go back to this and work on Fallen Order and then put the other hat on and go back to Squadrons. <laughs> it was a lot of back and forth for about, nice. you know, I'd say three or four months where I was working on both projects at the same time. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, that was, it, was, it was a really fun challenge, I'd say, you know. So yeah. working on all of these projects, each one of them has sort of given me a different opportunity within the the Star Wars game universe and, uh, you know, always kind of mixing it up and trying new things, and that's kind of fun.
one very unique thing about this game is that this is the first time in the era of EA Star Wars games that a soundtrack album has been released. There was, you know, no soundtracks for, for the Battlefront series. There's no soundtracks even for uh, Star Wars The Old Republic. And, uh, you know, Jedi Fallen Order released a soundtrack, but about mm -hmm. six months after the game released. Okay. And then this is the first time that there has been a soundtrack album released alongside of the game. So that's a very nice. unique thing and pretty exciting. So I'm very happy to see that the music's out there in the world to be heard outside of the game itself. So you can hear sort of the inner workings of the music itself. Awesome. It's a very cool thing, I think. Yeah, no kidding. That's a big congratulations there because that's pretty Thank exciting. Um, did they give you a vinyl? No vinyl. It's okay. uh, just uh, <laughs> just uh, you know, streaming streaming release. So all of the streaming platforms, you know, awesome. iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, cool. Google, etc. Great. Well, Gordy, seriously, thank you so much for your time and for all the wonderful music that you've written over the years. It's been uh, always a pleasure to hear what, uh, what's coming up next, and I, and I look forward to hearing that, too. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to episode 145 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Gordy Hab at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Hi, this is Christian from the A Sound Effect podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear Sergio Diaz and Zach Sievers talk about their sound design and mixing work on Gold Lion winning feature film Nomadland. Check it out at asoundeffect.com forward slash podcast.